We need successful energy companies in Britain. We need them to invest for the future. But you need to get a fair deal. And frankly, there will never be public consent for that investment unless you do get a fair deal. And the system is broken, and we're going to fix it. If we win that election in 2015, the next Labour government will freeze gas and electricity prices until the start of 2017. Your bills will not rise. It will benefit millions of families and millions of businesses. That's what I mean by a government that fights for you. That's what I mean when I say Britain can do better than this. That was Ed Miliband speaking in 2013 when he was the Labour Party leader. In fact, that speech was at the Labour Party conference and it led to a big fall in the share prices of the UK's energy companies. This was a time when energy companies were under immense pressure over the gas and electricity bills they were charging households and businesses. They still are today. Only a few weeks before Miliband's speech, Alistair Phillips-Davis had become chief executive of SSE, one of the UK's biggest energy companies. In fact, one of the biggest companies in the country, full stop. Ten years on, he is still the chief executive, having steered the company through a period of dramatic change. I'm Graeme Ruddick, and this is Business Leader, a podcast that takes a second look at big business stories. In this episode, we speak to one of the longest-serving chief executives in the FTSE 100 about how he has survived in the top job for so long and transformed SSE amid a series of big challenges, including an activist investor who wanted him to change the direction he was taking the company. SSE sold its household energy business for £500 million to OVO in 2019. That means today it is focused on expanding the amount of renewable energy it generates, including building the largest offshore wind farm in the world, Dogger Bank, which is off the coast of northeast England. That puts it at the forefront of the UK's net zero drive. SSE also owns electricity and gas networks that distribute energy across the country. Today, SSE is valued at £20 billion. My name's Alistair Phillips-Davis. I'm the chief exec of SSE. We're one of the sort of largest FTSE 30 companies in the UK. We're tightly focused on what is known as the energy transition and trying to make sure that for the UK and Ireland and even a bit further afield now as we invest further afield, we can help people and governments, society generally transfer to a low carbon economy, but also one uh, which I think provides more security of supply with a lot more homegrown energy and also cheaper energy in the long term as well as we avoid having to buy uh, energy from far from places. We're fortunate at the moment we're, we're building more offshore wind than anybody else in the world and we're also building the world's largest offshore wind farm. And for us, renewables, networks and flexibility, those are the big three keys for what we need to do to transform. I'm going to follow that up with quite a broad question, so forgive me, but you're at the forefront of the net zero drive in the UK. How would you say it's going? I think there's been great progress on lots of things. We've we've built things like the largest offshore wind market in the world. I think we've, uh, we're also just about to see 
coming out uh, or, or we've just seen Ofgem commit to a big program of work on networks. Lots of people have talked about networks. So at the transmission level, the high voltage level, we've got uh, a huge amount of projects through now, which we estimated 10 billion pounds plus of projects under this new regime called ASTI. And there'll be more coming from Grid as well. So I think all that is going quite well, um, despite some people worrying about government possibly uh, losing commitment to net zero and, uh, and and green. I don't actually think that's true in terms of big infrastructure. I think there has been a continued big commitment to networks. Uh, and we've seen that even the, the speech the Prime Minister made several weeks ago still had references to that. So I think we're doing well. We're ahead of a lot of other people. But there are always times when I suppose politics priorities interfere a little bit. We definitely rely on government policy and government commitment to try and move some of these things forward. There are certain things we can do, but we definitely need political cover as well in terms of with society more generally. So I think doing well could do more, need to accelerate over the balance of this decade if we're going to hit the targets that we've got. And it's that need to accelerate, which is the big piece. In 2021, it emerged that Elliott's advisors had taken a stake in SSE and wanted Alistair Phillips-Davis to change his strategy. Elliott is an American hedge fund with a reputation for being aggressive and, frankly, is used to getting what it wants. Elliott wanted SSE to spin off its renewables business into a new company. This would leave behind SSE's electricity and gas transmission networks, which carry energy across the country, as well as its gas-fueled power stations and carbon capture and storage projects. Elliott criticised SSE for an inefficient conglomerate structure and said there had been a history of underperformance under Phillips Davis. However, Phillips Davis stood firm. Instead, he unveiled a plan to invest £12.5 billion into renewable energy projects, which would be partly funded by cutting SSE's dividend and selling a stake in its electricity networks business. We don't normally talk too much about shareholders. We like to listen to them all. So uh, to to be honest, uh, somebody from there rang me up one day and just said, uh, we'd like a chat. And so a conversation began. I think ultimately they had their views because of where various companies were in the renewable side and uh, they maybe had their view about a thesis. I think we may have done something a little different from, from what they originally suggested, but I suspect they were in this. And if they're still in us, I suspect they're very, very happy shareholders. I suspect they'll have, you know, they'll have done well over the last two, two and a half years or whatever their investment period is. You don't end up seeing that much of them. And I think, uh, I don't don't know, some campaigns are are, are different to others. You know, we had ours. At the end of the day, I think um, the one positive out of it was we we, we had a a moment, um, I suppose they turned up in August time, 21, We'd had a big strategy session, partially, but, but we, we disposed of some businesses. We were, you know, we we're finishing off a big three billion pound disposal program. We were trying to focus on the electricity sector alone. We kind of decided that we had a big strategy session with the board and we'd had a change of chair at that time. Richard had stepped down after his time and John had, had, had just come in. You know, we went through a lot of stuff and actually we, we were very, very convinced in, in what we wanted to do. And I think the questioning that was out there and, and shareholders absolutely have the right to question what people are doing just helped us go through and, and make a better and more robust case for what we decided to do in June, essentially. And we went out there and executed it. I think by and large, we 
we had huge support from people. I think I think shareholders over the last two or three years are probably very very happy with um, with the performance of the stock versus most other stocks in our sector. When you spoke to them, did, did they ask you questions, or when you, was it straight away? We've done a lot of research on you, and this is what we think you should do. Yeah, I think you you get a bit of both. I think all shareholders tend to ask uh, tend to ask questions. I think with some activists, they can be a bit more public in terms of speaking to news, press, and things of that nature. I, I think with activists, they tend to have slightly different questions to perhaps long term shareholders. I suppose my experience in talking to other people. They can be shorter term at the end of the day. You know, sometimes they stay in for a while, but you know, if 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 there's something that gives a pop on the share price and that gives them an opportunity to to get in and out quickly, I, I you know, I suspect that's something that they do. Were you conscious at the time that you were making a big call that would put your position in focus? Because I read some fascinating interviews with you around that time where you respectively said that that you were aware that by going in a direction that was different to what they were suggesting, you. You know, was you, that was clearly your call, and you were going to be judged on that call. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So I, you know, you know that's the case. Um, at the end of the day, I'm here at shareholders' um, discretion or like or otherwise. If you know, if the shareholders lose faith in in, in me or the management team more widely, then um, then I think that's good night, Charlie. Basically, uh, the, the chairman uh, chairman turns up with a, a black tie on and uh, says, "Time to go, Alistair. But you know. I don't think it really fades me because at the end, of it, I've been in the industry a long time. There's lots of things I'm, I'm sure I can't do, but I feel I've got a decent understanding of this industry, and I've I've got a decent understanding of of what a utility should do and and, and what shareholders are like. And like we did pivot a bit, but it was the time to make a pivot. So we did pivot from probably being very high dividend paying to recognizing the growth that was there and saying, right, how do we still, how do we. St- how do we still look a bit like a utility and act like a utility, but what are the elements of difference? Because it would be a shame to miss out on the growth opportunities that are here. Um, and so I, I think, you know, finally, when you're in the moment, it, it seemed you, you knew it was the right thing to do, you know, and I had the team around around me, supporting me, um, and we were in it together. So if it all gone horribly wrong, then... Um, you carry the can, but that's 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 life, isn't it? I think that's 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 just a life of a CEO. At the end of the day, there's a bit of a, a weird culture around it, and, and one thing you know, and one or two people in the FTSE who I know and have worked with have, for various different reasons, have gone recently, which seems a shame. You know, I don't think they feel really about the, the overall performance of the company and other things. They've, they've gone for slightly unusual reasons, but that, I think that you're just exposed to that, unfortunately. The Elliott saga is one of the biggest challenges that Alistair Phillips Davis has faced during a decade as a FTSE 100 boss. But it's not the only one. He is one of the longest serving chief executives among Britain's biggest companies. Phillips Davis is still some way short of the 22 years that Lord Wilson has served as chief executive of Next, the high street retailer. But he has unique insight into what it takes to lead a business. I've been an executive director of the company since January 2002, so a very long time, but I'm, I'm not that old for people who can't see me, so I'm, I'm still only 56. So I've been around a long time, but the, the transition to CEO is very different because it, it's suddenly, it's all about you. I'm not, uh, I, I don't think I've got the biggest ego among CEOs I've met 
let's put it that way. So I, I, I prefer the team and uh, it's about team, but you do, you do get this real cult of, uh, of the CEO. And then doing the period, yeah, I've, I've, I've learned a lot, hopefully, um, of, uh, to steal a line from somebody else, to tr- tr- try and go from being a know-it-all to be a learn-it-all and always remain there. And perhaps that's what's helped me get through. Also, the fact that, that, that the company probably went from a, the, the previous decade was a tough decade for a whole variety of reasons. You know, we, well, um, <laughs> um, Ed, Ed Miliband, who, uh, who I get on uh, perfectly well with and, and does a lot of good stuff, when his price freeze came out, um, when he talked about his price freeze, that was about two months or less than two months into my tenure, and uh, the share price tanked by about two billion quid. You, you know, we had a we had a battle with that, and then we went into the Competition Markets Authority. That was about two years, and then uh, and then Brexit. Just as they found us fine, everything was fine. Brexit came, and the government changed completely, and we ended up with the Secretary of State who had a different view. Of, you know, wasn't sure whether the uh, Competition Markets Authority view of the world was right. You went from one thing to another. There was a lot of crisis management, I think, in the first five years. And there wasn't, you know, probably the the ends up as I put it now would have been, you know, my third pretty big go at trying to get a strategy that we could get behind and and and, and go and do something positive on. So hopefully I always had a bunch of the stuff in me, but you just need to go through those experiences. Uh, and there was a lot of difficult times, but equally, you you know, you accumulate a lot, lot of knowledge. We've done some great deals. Our renewables business now, we had some ourselves and we obviously had the hydro, but our wind business really was built on the back of an acquisition for an Irish company called Electricity way back in 2008. It was led by myself and Greg, the finance director at that time. So, you know, maybe we were a bit you know, far-sighted as well about what we needed to do. I think ne- never been scared to to pivot and go and, you know, lean into to what circumstances are. It's just we're super fortunate that one of the biggest issues on the planet at the moment and I spent the Middle East war is one of the biggest issues on the planet at the moment, but climate change is 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 the real constant one. And we've, you know, you've got a, a 20 year horizon to go after that. It's certainly great with younger people in the companies. You know, we took on over 200 graduates this year, you know, and you've got lots of people wanting to come in, even in the more difficult to recruit areas. We've actually found it okay. I think, uh, I would say on, on average, we're definitely doing a lot better for getting people into the company because we've got a, you know, a really strong story. We've got a, you know, a very strong purpose, a good, strong strategy around it. And, you know, touch wood, the execution, myself and the rest of the team, we've, we've, we've dodged some of the bullets and boulders and we've, we've done all right on the execution. On hiring, it's interesting you say that. How much of a difference is it making, the fact that you have such a clear mission and direction and, and that you're working on net zero? Yeah, definitely. So over my... CEO tenure, the first five years, it was tough to hire because we were painted into a poor position. I think I've spent a lot of time trying to get the company into a better place. I suppose one of the real down moments years ago, I'd, I ran the customer business for, for, for a long time. I took it from 4 million customers to 10 million customers doing the noughties. But there was, a, there was a lady who actually got recognised, I think, on the honours list that we put her up for it, and she did get it, uh, called Jackie Maxwell. So I'll, uh, I'll embarrass Jackie, but she was an absolute angel who looked after the customer relations and, let's say, high dependency people. You get some people used to call us every day because we were a bit like the, the, almost a social service and, and complaints and things like that. Uh, I remember Jackie had gone out for a Christmas party with her team in Perth, and, and it was in a little wee hotel in Perth, and they sort of 
there's general accident over there and there's a local car garage over there and you know every time somebody mentioned a table there was a bit of a cheer and then somebody said no, there's SSE over there and they all got booed and that's not a great place to be you know because these are hard-working people who are trying to do their best particularly for the more vulnerable and and I, you know that was a bit of a seminal moment for me about how we we had to change the perception of the company um you know because to have you know you know, good honest clerks and tele people answering the telephone who, you know, maybe getting a minimum of, well, certainly the living wage with us because we've been living wage accredited for a long time, but, you know, not necessarily pay huge amounts of money booed out in a public space because where they work is not a, not a great place. And so, so that piece has been important, I think. So today, I think we're in a really, really strong place where we're leaning into doing things, but I, I think it's important because we are a utility, we have to lean into the bits that we would nationalize. We do provide an essential service. You have to do that responsibly and there are certain things you have to do. And that's why things like fair tax, living wage, accreditation, making sure that we're leaning into a just transition. Beatrice, the first wind farm we built up in Scotland, about 70% of the people who work in the, uh, in the control room there and, and as many people as we could, we took out the oil and gas industry and retrained them. And we've got a big, big commitment to, to taking people who are coming from, let's say, the higher carbon economy, bring them into the lower carbon economy, and, and we need to put money into training. If, you know, uh, fine, training academies are good, and this, that, and the other, and I support people doing that. But how are we making our commitment to get those people in, rather than just saying, "Oh, well, we can't find the skills here," or it's somebody else's problem to provide us with those skills? We have to go and do that because I, I think that's our that's our commitment to communities and to uh, and back to society. And what about you, day to day as a chief executive? What what skills would you say have been important to you being a chief executive for ten years? Uh, I think resilience is pretty important. I think uh, staying grounded. So I don't know your partner, your family, whatever your friends. You know, it's always good to go home and. A long time ago, have an appy to change, just become a grandfather, so uh, those will be coming back, no doubt. Uh, uh, you know, or uh, you know, argue with your child about some trivial issue about what's what's on TV or whatever. And I, I think staying grounded is pretty pretty important for me. It's not all about you know, let's let's go and meet the prime minister, or let's go and, let's go and see Bill Gates, or talk about AI or whatever. Because at the end of the day, a lot of what we do is about helping normal people up and down up and down this country, make sure that they've got affordable energy so they can live their lives. As he touched on earlier, Alistair Phillips Davis was appointed as a director of SSE in 2002. He was just 34 at the time, which is an unusually young age to be appointed to the board of a FTSE company. I'm not sure I thought about it that hard. Well, very, uh, very flattering that Jim, the previous CEO but one, made me up. I suppose it, it, it was good that it showed the place was a meritocracy. They thought I was the best for the job. Hopefully, I, I've, I've proved them right ultimately. Uh, sure, I made a few mistakes on the way. But, you know, it, it just proved the best person for the job got the job and that was it. Showed a lot of faith in me and, yeah, I was, you know, I was happy. And we were quite, we've always been quite an inward-looking firm in terms of, we worry about our customers or our stakeholders, but ultimately, you know, we want to be a close knit team. You know, we're fighting the competition out there at the end of the day. Let's just, you know, let's just focus inwardly on how we get better, how we do things better, how we execute stuff. Probably at that time, we're a bit more outward looking now, fortunately, but um, at that time it was, you know, get on with it and don't think too much of yourself, laddie. 
You mentioned the importance of learning. Who do you learn from as a chief executive and who do you talk to? Because a common theme of the interviews and the podcast that we've done is that at the top of business, it can be it can be quite lonely. You know, it's all on you. There aren't many people you can confide in. So how how do you deal with that? How do you try and talk to and learn from? Yeah, so uh, that piece I mentioned came from Microsoft and uh, it, it, it was funny how that most years Microsoft has an event over in Seattle I've been to it a few several times now and Satya Nadella came in there I think similarish time or maybe a bit after me uh, and, and one of the big things he had was I want to go from know it, a know-it-all culture to a learn-it-all culture I, you know constant improvement uh, and all the rest which almost re- really resonated with me obviously he's done a fractionally better job than me by some margin but um, but I, I, you know hopefully we've done some of that uh, in this place now where you learn it from uh, you just have to take the opportunities that are, that are there. I mean, I, I've been invited to go and see Mr. Musk, I think, but I can't make it, unfortunately, because I'm somewhere else. So, so that is going to happen. You know, ultimately, I'm not big on paying consultants particularly, but consultants can help you at times. There are a few people in the industry who, you know, you go to, financiers, bankers, there are, there, there are other people in supply chain. I, th- I think I try and take opportunities you know, I don't want to go flying around the planet all the time just meeting people because it's a waste of time. But I think whenever you go and see somebody, I don't know, I was with a big oil industry executive, Patrick, who runs Total, a couple of weeks ago, just try and speak to them about their business and what they're seeing. What you want to do is suck it up viral osmosis because you can you can look at the company and see some of the things that they're doing right. It's quite interesting to talk to them about what their perceptions are because with the greatest respect to comms or press, it's not quite what happens in underneath. You know, because you'll write a whole story, you know, I don't know, the activist piece or whatever. Somebody might write a whole story on us and, 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 and the activist, but let's say the big heavy lifting for that happened, you know, between early August 21 and the end of November. So that's a big period of time. And quite a lot of people did quite a lot of things during that period of time, for instance. So I just I just take the opportunities. And I, I don't know, sometimes I, I play a bit of golf or I you know, go to the gym or whatever. It, it doesn't, if in your personal life you you come across somebody i suppose i'm a bit inquisitive but and, and so i might be a pain in the posterior to somebody and ask them lots of daft questions what do you think such a fascinating point what do you think is is the most common misconception about this company and also your your job about this company well, well to, one of them is that we're still a big domestic supplier because i still get like 10 plus emails a day from customers of ssc and we sold that business three and a half years ago so i, I kind of have to at least deal with so certain when when there's a vulnerable you know power's gone off and or the the meters run out of charge and I've got a child in the house and we you know we obviously have to try and try and help over deal with that so when you've got that because everybody everybody sees energy more as the supply side of it was actually a massive infrastructure investor and so I think people don't really a lot of people don't know us which I think we we discuss as a self we're we're not a household name like let's say Marks Spencer's or Sainsbury's or something I mean I think we're more than twice the size of them put together when you look at our you know, our value. So that's one thing, but I think we've we've done something to raise awareness. What about your own job and the job of being a FTSE yeah. chief executive? No, I don't. Yeah, you just get this cult of the CEO and everybody, you know, thinks it's, I don't know, you're some, uh, well, some people probably think you're full of nonsense and overpaid, and that's probably the best way to view yourself because that'll keep your feet in the ground. I think, I think people feel you're some, you know, mega being or something that can do all sorts of things and that and that and that just isn't true and i think you've uh, or people can sometimes be overall and, and you want to speak to you just want to have a conversation with them, a bit like i said because i'm inquisitive and i'm i'm interested i just want to have a conversation with people and find out what's going on 
equally, I think you will get the two big things with CEOs, I suppose, everywhere you go, there's wet paint, you know, because people have slapped a bit of wet paint over it so that everything looks perfect. And that's terrible because you need feedback. Basically, if you don't get honest feedback, you, you'll end up with big problems at, at different times in, 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 in different businesses. So try and avoid the wet paint bit. And you don't want these yes people and these people around you who are just agreeing with you. And that's difficult. You need to foster a culture that encourages people to to speak up, to be honest. Fine, once you've made a decision, you have an argument in the room, you've got to go out and all live with it. But you need that feedback. You can't just have a, you know, yes or no, so three bags full, everything you say is amazing because there's just no way any one person these days can can do all that. Even, even the people, you know, Elon Musk or Steve Jobs back in the day or whatever, they still need lots of people around them to do an amazing job, you know, and they still need to get the right information in order to, to sort of know where they're going. Did you ever have an aspiration to be a chief executive? I was lo- looking at your background, I mean, your, your parents are both in schools and I guess in a different life, you could have ended up being an engineer at Rolls-Royce given you started yeah. there and then obviously you went into banking. Were you always interested in business? Were you never interested in business? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I was sort of interested in finance, but never had anybody in my family who'd done anything. So, I, you know, so I, and to be honest, I, I found one or two of the industrial sort of summer jobs I did while at university. It was a bit, it wasn't that exciting somehow. And so I was fortunate that I, you know, I cast out and had a go at something. So I think I probably, I probably got a little bit of a, Compared to the average person, not compared to a bunch of CEOs, I've probably got a little bit of a brave streak in me to go and try something and do something. You know, one of the key things is to try and do something you like. And I suppose, you know, finance and engineering and building stuff, that's always been good. And also working teams of people. You know, I worked in investment banking for a while. That's a very, very individual kind of play. You know, everybody's a bit out for themselves. There's lots of investment banks I know are quite like, but it's a, a very individual place. And that's not, really where I flourish the best. I'm much, much better working with a team. And then, uh, yeah, look, I suppose probably uh, from an early time in my career, I kind of prefer being in control and making decisions. I don't have a problem making decisions. And and so I don't need, I don't really care much for the adulation or, you know, you've got this, that and the other. Or, you know, I, you know when we were doing this office, somebody said to me, do you want an office? I said, no, I've got an office. I'm not enough somewhere. It's fine. I'll just sit in the meeting room or sit out there. I don't really care. So that's not the bit that matters, but I suppose I do feel like I've got an opinion on something. I'm sure some of my staff wished I'd got less <laughs> of an opinion on something. But, I, you, know, you know, so that bit of the leadership I really enjoy. Um, but I, I think I engender a reasonable spirit around the table. Or if you're in the room, if you, you know, if you come at the Exco and you've got a project, no matter where you are in the co- you know, company, you, you can have a vote. Uh, one of my ex-members of staff, who I, I like a lot, Jim, always used to say, oh, yeah, but you've got a, a million votes, but I've never had to use them. I've only ever had the one in the GC in my entire, in my entire time as a CEO. We've, we've had the discussion in the room and we've decided amongst us that we've disagreed a bit. And I've never I've never yet had to exercise my, my sort of sod it, we're going to do it. We've generally got there by you know persuading people. Just on decision making, then, just because that's really, that's all so interesting. What makes a good decision making process? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I was at Intiad just before I came here because the company, I don't know, I've been with the company for 15 years or something before I, before I got 
14 years before I became CEO, they'd never give me a day's training in my entire time. But <laughs> we for a bit tight, so we never spend much money on that. And they said, oh, we better go somewhere. So I went to INSEAD. There was a couple of professors there, did, you know, in this five-day course, did some stuff on, on, on that. Long story short, if you've got a few sensible people, but not necessarily superstars, but a few of them, rather than one superstar, generally a few sensible people will get to a better decision than one person who's a superstar and paying for a superstar is very expensive but you know a complete expert but paying for a few people who are decent is not as expensive and you tend to get better decisions that way and it, it sort of proved out in the exercise they ran and guy done research and all the rest of it and i think that's right i don't i don't think it, well i'm sure everybody else in the company's a superstar i don't get too many superstars in in SSE, but we have lots of decent people who have a reasonable understanding key thing is how you get the best out of them how you how you make sure you get everybody to have a view and and decisions you you yeah you have to be brave sometimes and there's more layers like where you anchor yourself what are your anchor points because if you there's a there's a book written by a, a nobel prize winning uh, psychologist daniel Kahneman, and a, a guy who unfortunately died a colleague of his and it's just full of amazing insights on how your brain sort of tricks itself into doing things and, and, and a big issue is what, what, what you're anchoring your decision on. So when you're looking at something, how you're anchoring your decision. But somebody else will anchor it somewhere differently, and that's why diversity and inclusion is such a big piece. Because if you've just got a bunch of acolytes or a bunch of lucky-likeys, you're never going to get a different opinion in that room. You're going to miss something big, and that's going to hurt you. How long would you like to carry on being chief executive of SSA? Oh, forever, forever. Um, um, no, I, no I, I think it's whether you remain fresh. I think I've been fortunate. We've probably gone through three phases. And obviously the most recent phase, probably, you know, we did that three billion pound disposal program and we sold our retail business. So that was like three and a half years ago. And we've really accelerated now. Uh, you've had a bit of a change in the world as well. So, so I think we've got a huge amount of energy as a company. We've got some fantastic things to aim at. And so, you know, for me, Build the team as strong as I can. Make sure that we're going in the right direction. Keep making decisions. Don't you know? Don't slow down because we need to keep accelerating into doing the right things. Build up the team. I'll wake up one day and decide. Look, I'm. I'm. Pr- I'll, I'll either somebody will say something to me and I'll realise I'm done or I'm not doing what I should be. Uh, or I'll just wake up and think maybe it's time to go do something else. And we'll hand it on to the next person. And there's a. But you know. It's a company that's got a lot of energy and a lot of possibilities, and uh, you know we're in a great place on the hiring. We've hired some great talent all the way up and down the organisation. We've got lots of great young people coming in, so it's really exciting for me. I think it's just making sure that I step off the bus before I get you know tired, knackered, whatever, make a big mistake. You've been listening to Business Leader with me, Graham Ruddick. Our producer is Anushka Tate. For more business news and analysis, check out businessleader.co.uk or sign up to our newsletter, Off to Lunch, where you'll get business news, ideas and expertise sent to you throughout the week. You can sign up at offtolunch.substack.com.